Welcome to Peak City Church. We pray that this message fills you with hope and encourages you wherever you are. Also, follow us on social media at Peak City Co. to stay connected with us. Be blessed. What's good? How are we? It's awesome, man. Getting to celebrate a baptism at the jump today. That's a beautiful thing. Love the double dunk. They'll never forget it. It was beautiful, man. It's beautiful. Man, I'm so glad you're here with us today. And man, I missed you guys. I missed you guys last weekend. I know everybody was here last weekend because nobody skips Memorial Day weekend at church. I'm kidding. I know you skipped. It's all good. Um, but man, I missed you. I was, uh, I was out of town officiating a wedding and uh, it was just so, I, I, I told my wife, it felt like I hadn't been here in like a month. It felt like I hadn't preached in like a month or two. And I was like, that's how you know it's a good sign that God is truly growing. If, at least for me, like our heart for the house. When we talk about having a heart for the house. I hate being away from this place. Like I hate being away because I just see God doing so much. And, uh, and I, I can't go a week without hearing about stories of life change. They just flood through. Like last week, I heard the story of two teenagers um, who tried out Peak City Youth for the first time and came back to mom and dad were like, I have to go back every week. I've never experienced church like this before. We had a story last week of a kid who checked into Peak City Kids Ministry for the first time and came back to mom and dad and said, mom and dad, we have to come back here every Sunday forever. I was like, man, that's the kind of church I hope you feel. That's the kind of church we want to build as a church that you don't have to drag your kids to church. Your kids should be dragging you to church, right? And that's what's happening. I I want you to see that. Stories of life change are happening. I mean, every single week I hear a story of someone who came and they were hardened towards church, hardened towards faith, had had bad experiences with Christians. But they came in here and for some reason they decided to give it another chance and they have found fresh life, fresh faith. And so man, when I ask you to consider giving to our Heart for the House initiative, which is really just setting up a monthly gift that helps us continue doing this, is for that, like you need to know, we're trying to see that kind of life change keep happening. We don't want it to be just like sparingly. We wanna see life change happening abundantly here. And so um, we've got cards on your seats. You've had them for the past few weeks. Uh, We're asking you for one more week to take those cards and to read them at home, to pray over them, and then to pray about setting up a monthly gift that helps us continue uh, growing this church. And uh, don't, don't, don't be the kind of church that sees life change and isn't actively involved in it. Right? Like we wanna be actively involved in supporting what you just saw happen in the baptistry. And so man, let's do that, let's pray about that and let's give big so we can keep doing this thing, all right? Today, man, I've got a, I got a message for you that God has just put deep in my bones. I'm, I'm like itching to get this thing out. And so uh, I don't wanna waste any more time. Why don't you go ahead and turn around, make this place feel warm and welcome. Give somebody some hugs, some high fives. Make it feel like home, let's go. Thank you, sir. That's a, good, that's a good jazzy fizzle behind me, man. I need that throughout the week, throughout the week. You know, it's a good day when the teaching stand is wet from the waters of the baptistry. Somehow, someway, I don't know how that happened, but. Man, what's good? Y'all doing all right? Good, good, good. You look good, you look great. Uh, summer is here, even though it don't feel like it. It kind of feels like it. It's gonna be a good day today. So excited, man. If you have a Bible and you wanna get there, Turn to Acts chapter five. 
Uh, if you're brand new with us, welcome to the family. My name's Petey, the lead pastor here, and uh, my wife Brittany and I will be outside in the lobby after service. Come say hey. We'd love to get to know you. And uh, last week, if you were here, you received a message from on high. Literally the tallest preacher in the world, Taylor Warren spoke. He is a giant. How many of y'all appreciated Taylor and his message? Yeah. It's incredible. I love Taylor. Taylor is, uh, it's hard to find guys like Taylor these days, man. Taylor is just a good, faithful, loyal, put his head down and do hard work over and over and over kind of guy. And uh, many, you know, he, he really undersold his impact here last week. I, I watched his sermon. Uh, most of the ministries that you feel blessed by are led and guided by Taylor and uh, leaders are empowered by him. And so I love him. Uh, also, it's really funny. Uh, Taylor and I have a long history together. We, we usually go to the gym together. We've been going to the gym together for a long time. Uh, I know you can't tell on either one of us, but we do go to the gym together. But it's always funny when Taylor and I walk in the gym together, I feel like it looks like, if you're old enough, you remember this reference. I feel like it looks like Danny DeVito and Arnold Schwarzenegger and twins. It's like, this looks bad. Uh, like, I don't know if I'm saying this. Even last week, so Taylor didn't use this teaching stand last week. He used one that's adjustable because he's six foot nine and he adjusted it really high. Well, then he didn't bring it back down. He just sat it in my office and I saw how tall the teaching stand was. And like, I thought about bringing it out here and preaching from it. It was like here. It's like, if you look with me in Acts chapter five, peer up. But man, I'm so thankful for him and thankful for the message he brought. But I actually want this week to go back and I wanna to touch on the tail end of the verses that he taught on last week, all right? And that's the beautiful thing about the word of God. When you start unpacking the Bible, you start digging into it, you could read the same 10 verse 10 times and get 10 different things out of it. The word of God is alive and it's active and it's teaching and it's growing and that's the beauty of it, man. Theologians have spent hundreds of years exploring scripture and they're still unpacking it. And so today I wanna to go back and re re-go through just kind of the tail end of the verses that he taught on last week. And specifically, I want us to talk today and that what the text is gonna unpack for us today is this concept and this idea of skepticism. All right, I wanna to talk to you today about skepticism because we live in one of the most skeptical generations in all of human history. Nobody believes anything anymore. <laughs> Nobody trusts anything, ever, anything anymore. Everyone is skeptical of all things, right? We're skeptical about the validity of elections. We're skeptical about whether or not markets are manipulated. We're skeptical about anyone in leadership, right? We just believe if you could really get close enough to the truth, you'd see that it's not all that great. Like there'd, there'd be an ugly underbelly that you'd see if you got close enough. We're, we're skeptical of everything. One of my, one of my favorite um, developments in the age of, of skepticism has been the rise of conspiracy theories. I'm a big conspiracy theory guy. Specifically, I love when I meet someone who is like really in on conspiracy theories. I'm like, let's sit down and talk. Let me get my popcorn. I just want to listen. Tell me the crazy things you believe, right? Have you heard the conspiracy theory? I, I, I heard this one two weeks ago and I'm still like, I can't believe it. I, I think it might be true. Um, it's about um, mattress stores. Have you heard this one? Some of you are like, yeah, I've heard that one. I know where my conspiracy theory people are. <laughs> that mattress stores, the, the, the theory is that mattress stores are actually money laundering fronts for drug lords and crime lords because there's one on every street corner. And how many times in your life have you actually bought a new mattress? Very few. If there's all these mattresses, all these mattress stores and nobody's buying them, they're not making money. No, they're not making money, they're laundering money. 
It's a dirty conspiracy theory, right? I, can, I, I love it, man. I, I love a good conspiracy theory, but here's the deal. It doesn't just happen outside. The conspiracy theories, the skepticism runs deep and it's in the church. Skepticism has made its way into the church, so much so that I would say that today, when I say skepticism, I'm not talking about a message just for people who maybe aren't sure what they believe. Even people that were raised in the church that would say they're Christians that say they believe in Jesus are walking into the church with great, great, great skepticism. I know this, it happened to me just, a, um, it, was, it was about a month ago this happened. I was preaching and I told a story about Brittany and uh, the story was about when we were uh, early on in our dating relationship. <clears throat> And I noticed at the, end of the, at, at, uh, at the end of dinner, she was really quiet. And I had no idea why. And it was because she had a mouthful of water and she was waiting until we got to the parking lot and she spewed it all over me like an animal and just started laughing. And everyone thought it was funny, funny, ha, 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 right? Someone comes up to me the next week after preaching that. The next week in the live and they said, hey, that story you told about Britney spitting the water in your face, that didn't happen, did it? And I'm like, do you understand how high level of a psychopath I would have to be to make up a story for a sermon with my wife sitting right here? Like, can you, like, just how high level psychotic would I have to be to come home and say, hey, babe, I'm really struggling with a sermon this week. I got no illustrations. I'm gonna make up a story about you. It's gonna make you look really weird and really bad, but just go with it, okay? No, of course it's real, but like, that's the level of skepticism that we roll into the church with. And I wanna to talk to you today about how you think that your skepticism is healthy. Right? We hear that phrase a lot, got healthy skepticism. But I want you to see today how skepticism is actually killing your faith, it's killing your journey with God, and it's actually preventing you from the life that God wants for you. And I wanna show you how you can practically bring an end to skepticism. The, the title of my message is The Movement Ends Skepticism. All right, the movement of Jesus was meant to end the skeptic inside of you. I want to show you how it happens today. All right, Acts chapter 5, we're starting in verse 12. We're backing up, reading a little bit of what Taylor preached last week. Are you ready? Yeah. Online, are you ready? They, they don't make noises out there, like clicking on the keyboard. Um, Acts chapter 5, verse 12. <clears throat> it says, The apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people. And all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. I want you to remember this next line. It says, no one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. That's a key line. Remember that. We'll come back to it. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and, mat and, and, and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them. As he passed by, crowds gathered also from the towns of Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by impure spirits, and all of them were healed. Now, pause for a second. <clears throat> Massive life changes happening. People are being healed left and right. They're praying, they're preaching about who Jesus is. People are learning who God really is, and people are coming to faith by droves. I mean, the number of people coming to church every week was just growing and growing and growing. It was amazing. Amazing things were happening. Uh, th throughout the day, right? Morning and afternoon, they would have these prayer services and worship services and people were giving their lives to Jesus. It's all amazing. And then the evenings, what would happen is the, the disciples and the followers of Jesus, whoever wanted to come, would go to this place called Solomon's Colonnade. Now, colonnade is just a fancy word for porch. Right? In fact, many translations will say that this was called Solomon's Porch. It was a part of the temple that you could hang out in. And so they would hang out there and they would just celebrate, right? They would celebrate all that God is doing among them. 
It's like, it's, it, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm envisioning when I see this, like, kind of like the first like, Christian coffee shop feel. You know, like all the Christians are together and just enjoying it, like doing Bible studies together, and they're just like talking and hanging out. It's like, and you know Christians love their coffee. Like, y'all, we love our coffee. You could be an atheist and start an atheist coffee shop. I'm telling you, it's going to get overrun by Christians. Christians love their coffee. It's so funny. I started connecting the dots on this because I didn't grow up going to church. I didn't grow up a Christian. And so when I was reading this and I saw Solomon's porch, I was like, oh, man, there was a coffee. I'm not kidding you. There was a coffee shop in my little old Bible Belt town of small town Kentucky. And the coffee shop was called Solomon's Porch. It's like you don't get any more lame, weird Christian and naming, like the only thing to be worse if you named your coffee shop like Hebrews. <laughs> and if any of you do that, we will not serve your coffee at this church. <laughs> Hebrews. Hebrews. First coffee shop feel. And it's so weird because like, this is amazing opportunity for anyone who's been blessed by the movement, anyone who's given their life to Jesus. It's amazing opportunity to go and hang out with like the OGs. I mean, this is like Peter, James, brother of Jesus, John, like they could have been there and just like got right up close and personal to these guys that saw Jesus and hung out with Jesus. It's this amazing opportunity, but it's so weird to me when I read it, it says that no one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by everyone. Like everyone loved them, but they were like, "Uh -uh uh-uh-uh, I'm not gonna go there and hang out with them, right? There's like, there's some distance they got created. It's like, I'm interested in Jesus. I'm open, maybe, I don't know, to this. I'm, I'm going, I'm listening, but I'm not gonna go hang out with them. No, I'm, I, I'm not getting that far in. And, then, and you see that distance repeated again, right? Because it says that then people were hearing about what was happening and they started bringing their sick and diseased family members out and laying, notice they laid them out in the street close enough so that Peter's shadow might fall on them. You see the distance? It's not like Peter had an entourage guarding him. It's not like he had like limited access. He was right there. Anyone could go up and talk to him. They could have brought their sick and diseased family members right up to him and said, Peter, will you pray for him? Will you heal him? No, no, no. They said, we're going to bring him out and set him just close enough to where his shadow might fall and maybe the shadow will heal. There's distance, right? Now zoom out for a second. You know what's happening right here. Put yourself in their shoes. Why would they not join them at Solomon's porch and hang out? Why would they not bring their sick and diseased family members any closer? It's because they were skeptical. It's skepticism. They were intrigued by this movement, but they had their reservations. They were intrigued as to what God was doing and maybe this good news that God loves humanity and God wants to forgive humanity and restore humanity and redeem and rebuild but I'm not entirely sure. I've got my reservations. I'm gonna stay at a safe distance because I'm a little skeptical of all this, right? And we see that same distance, that same skepticism alive and well today. We see it in the church everywhere. We see it here at Peak City all the time. That there's so many people, many of you are listening to this today, and, and I get it because I was there at one point too. Like I, I was there and, you know, I didn't grow up going to church. When I first got invited, I was very skeptical. I kept everyone at a distance and I get it. But man, we do this all the time. You come in, you're like, man, you want me to sing songs? You want me to lift my hands in worship? <laughs> yeah, right. That seems pretty sensational. That seems pretty like overly emotional. Nah, I'm good. You want me to like lean into teaching and like take, like, take notes and learn and like, uh, I don't know. No, I'm good. You want me to go to culture class, right? A three-week experience that helps you learn about the church and connect with others? Yeah, yeah. You know what the first four words of culture are? Cult. 
I'm good. No, thank you. You want me to give financially? Yeah, 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 right. You, stay in my wallet. No, no, I'm good. You want me to join a small group? Yeah, right. Nobody would accept me. They'd probably judge me. No way, man. I've had experience with crazy Christians before. I'm good. You see what I'm saying? It's this skepticism, and it's alive and well, whether you believe in Jesus or you don't. That's why this is not like a message for people who don't believe or people who do believe. It's everybody. We've got this skepticism that is alive and well inside of us. And you think, all right, you think that your skepticism is actually protecting you. Right, you think it's protecting you. And I get it. I get it. Because you've had some reasons that have been shown to you as to why you should be skeptical. You've seen some examples of pastors. You've seen some examples of churches. You've seen some stuff in the headlines, in the media, on Twitter, on Facebook, that's like very, very ugly about the church. And so you got your reasons to protect yourself from something that might potentially hurt you. Can I step into that for just a second, though? You didn't say yes, but I'm going to. The head, just think, think through this with me for a second. The headlines that you have read about, about failed churches, failed pastors, church scandal, church drama, do you really think that those headlines represent the majority of churches or the minority of churches? Do you really think that those headlines represent the norm or the exception? They represent, let me tell you, the exception. I've been around the church and I was skeptical just like some of you are. I didn't grow up going to church. I didn't grow up with plans to be a pastor or preacher. I was like, "Uh uh-uh-uh, no way. I was skeptical just like you are. I'm telling you, the norm in churches across this country and across the world, in churches that believe in and love Jesus, the norm is good, faithful Christians that love God, Christians that love other people. The norm is good, faithful pastors that are putting their head down and just trying their best. That's the norm. You have been fed, I'm telling you right now, you have been fed a narrative by the media, by social media, by all, but that, that all churches are untrustworthy and it has built up your skepticism. But it's not true. It's not the norm. It's the exception. Because here's the deal, church drama gets clicks. You know what doesn't get clicks? Church faithfulness. Just being faithful to God and being faithful to the church and just loving people and being in one community for a long time, that's just not very sexy. TMZ reports on failed marriages, not successful marriages. It gets, it gets clicks. So your skepticism has been fueled, I'm telling you, it's been fueled by what is making money in advertisements. All right, that's one step of it. Now let me go a step further into skepticism because you think it's protecting you. You think it's protecting you from being manipulated. You think it's protecting you from, being, from looking like an idiot. You think it's protecting you. I want to show you and tell you today that your skepticism is preventing you. It's not protecting you. It's preventing you from the life that God wants for you. It's preventing you. See, see what skepticism does? Skepticism always gets you the least. The least. Look with me at verse 15 again. I love this part. It says, as a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. You see, that's what skepticism does to you. When you keep everyone at an arm's distance, when you push everyone out, when you don't trust anyone, when you assume that the worst possible explanation is the most likely explanation, you know that's what skepticism is. Skepticism is the belief that the worst 
possible explanation is the most likely explanation. And when you keep people at a distance like that, when you have that kind of skepticism, it will get you the least of everything in the kingdom of God. It'll get you the least community, the least. You keep people at a distance, you say, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll be friends, but I'm not gonna show you who I really am because you might not accept me. I'm not gonna show you who, who, who I really am because you might judge me. You do that, guess, guess what? You're gonna get the least of community. It's not that you won't get any community. It's just that your relationships are all gonna be shallow and you won't experience the joy of being fully known and fully loved. It gets you the least. Skepticism gets you, gets you the least of spiritual growth. See, it's not that you won't learn anything, but if you just come here and listen to a message on a Sunday and let it go in one ear and out the other, you might, you might pick up some general wisdom, but you will never experience the fullness of spiritual growth that God wants for you when you lean in. Skepticism gets you the least. It's the least. It's the least of your opportunities, the least of your impact. It's the least of God. Skepticism will let you experience the least of God. You'll never experience the fullness. You'll experience some of it. Let me tell you, God is too good to let your skepticism prevent you from ever experiencing any of his goodness. He loves you way more than that. The Bible says that the rain pours and the sun shines on both the good and the wicked. It don't matter what you believe, it don't matter if you're an atheist, agnostic, if you're a skeptic, whatever you are, let me tell you, you are gonna experience the goodness of God in your life, it's just gonna be the least. Skepticism, the belief that the worst possible explanation is the most likely explanation, it is going to prevent you from the life that God wants for you. Think about it for these people in Acts 5. Come on, think about all they missed. They heard about Jesus. Yeah, they heard about him. They listened, they sat through messages. They like saw some people around. Okay, cool. But man, they missed out. They could have sat there and talked to Peter who walked on water and said, tell me what that was like. They could have sat down and talked to James, the brother of Jesus, and said, what was it like to grow up with God as your brother? They could have been loved and embraced. They could have seen more miracles. They could, have, they could have been vaulted into church leadership and used their gifts for even more. I mean, gosh, there was so much they missed out on. And it was all because they could never overcome their skepticism. And I know, <clears throat> I know that some of y'all are getting nudged right now. Whoever's sitting beside you is going, because <clears throat> you're probably the skeptical one in your family, right? By the way, if you're nudging, stop nudging. <laughs> Nudge yourself. It's not a good thing to nudge other people. It's rude. But I know some of you are, you're like me, you're skeptical by nature, right? I'm not gonna ask you to, to raise your hands because that would out you, but I feel like sometimes skepticism is hardwired into me. Anytime I see anything good happen, if I see a testimony of somebody's life change, I'm like, ah, uh, really? Are they actually on staff at the church and just planted? Like anytime I hear about anything good happening, I was like, ah, come on, there's probably a different, ex there's probably a worse explanation. Like I get it. And so some of you, you feel like it's so hardwired into you, you can never imagine not being skeptical. And I wanna show you how the movement ends skepticism. And uh, it comes in, in a few verses later and the end of skepticism, the logical way that you can combat skepticism in your mind. And it comes from the mouth of a skeptic. Only God, only God would end skepticism from the mouth of a skeptic. Skip with me down to verse 33. In verse 33, um, the disciples have been preaching Jesus and the Sanhedrin, these spiritual leaders want him to stop and they've arrested him and they, they actually want to kill him. 
right? Because they're sick of hearing about Jesus. They're sick of this new movement growing. It's, it's, it's pulling power away from them. But there's so many people that love the disciples and they're so excited that they can't kill the disciples because then they'll be unpopular in the eyes of the public. So they're in a real catch-22 and they really don't know what to do. And then a skeptic named Gamaliel steps up. And Gamaliel says this. He says, when they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law who was honored by all the people, he stood up in the Sanhedrin and he ordered that the men be put outside for a little while. And then he addressed the Sanhedrin. Men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Theudas appeared claiming to be somebody and about 400 men rallied to him. But he was killed and all his followers were dispersed and it all came to nothing. You hear the skepticism? After him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census and, and led a band of people in revolt, but he too was killed and all his followers were scattered. You hear the skepticism? My man's dripping with it. Skepticism just oozing. He's like, ah, come on, come on, come on, come on, guys, calm down, calm down. We've seen this before. Come on, chill out. This is like the same thing that happens like when a, when a door-to-door salesman comes to my neighborhood and knocks on the door and some young college man with a polo lanyard, sir, I'm here today to interest you in solar power. <sighs> I've seen your type before. <laughs> Give me the card, let's go through the motions, I'll pretend like I'm interested and I'm gonna call you and I'm never gonna call you and out the door you go, right? <laughs> like, we've seen this before, don't worry about it. And then come the words that can end skepticism in your life. He says, therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone, let them go. Here it is. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You'll only find yourselves fighting against God. And I envision he almost said it in jest. Right, a little tongue in cheek, like, but if it's from God, <laughs> and all the Sanhedrin are like, yeah, whatever. If it's from God, if it's from God, it will not fail. If it's from God, you won't be able to stop it. And in those words, from the mouth of a skeptic, you get the logical answer to your skepticism. You get the logical reason why you can lower your crossed arms down why you can stop pushing everyone off at a distance, why you have to keep worrying about protecting yourself. No, no, you can let that go because you can trust. If it's of human origin, if it's some preacher trying to build a platform, if it's some church trying to build a brand, if it's somebody out to get your money, let me tell you, the truth will come out. The the true colors will be shown. If it's of human origin, it will fail, it will fail, it will fail. But if it is from God, it will not fail fail. If it's from God, you won't be able to stop it. Now, a little nuance here, a little nuance. I'm not talking about churches. I'm not talking about failed churches. Because I'm not saying that if if it's from God, the church will always succeed and it'll always be open, it'll always be growing. Every church that Paul in the New Testament started failed. None of the churches that Paul, the guy who wrote all the New Testament, none of the churches he started are still standing today. They all failed eventually. But that doesn't mean that the movement failed. See, some of you in the room right now have been a part of failed churches and, and it was awful and it was devastating, but it is, the fact that you're here right now is proof that it was from God. Look at where you are. You're here. 
You're growing. You haven't given up. You're worshiping. You're learning. You're leaning in. The movement did not fail. It kept you going. In fact, that's proof that it was from God. If it's from God, it will not fail. You don't have to worry. You can put down your defenses and you can lean in. If it's from God, I'm telling you, it's going to change your life. If it's from God, you're going to see growth. If it's from God, it will not fail. And because of that, you don't have to protect yourself with skepticism anymore. You can let that go, man, and you can just lean in. You can make this all-important shift. And I'm telling you, this is so important. The shift you have to make, and it's, for, it's not just for those who don't believe, it is for everyone. There are believers in this room who have never made this shift. You need to make this shift. And it's so important for your growth, for your development, for your relationship with God, for your impact. You need to shift, okay, here it is, from skeptic to seeker. You need to become a seeker. And if you're a church nerd and you're like, are we talking about the seeker-driven movement from the 1990s? No. I'm talking about seeking God and seeking truth, and seeking life versus being skeptical of God, skeptical of faith, and skeptical of church. You need to make the shift from being a skeptic to being a seeker. You need to go from saying, no, 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 I'm good, I'm good, I don't need it, to is this real? Is this legit? Is this from God? Because I'm after, I'm after truth, right? And there's such a there's such a change that happens in your heart when you move from, from skeptic to seeker. I saw it happen this week with my wife. All right, my wife just made the shift from skeptic to seeker, not in her faith. She's been seeking God for a long time. But when it comes to camping, my wife has become a seeker. All right, I've told you before, my family's not an outdoor family. We have no skills in the outdoors, but I'm trying to grow in that. Right? I feel like it's part of Colorado manhood. And uh, she, is, she wants nothing to do with it. Nothing to do with it. She's, her, her, her line has been when I say we should go camping. She's like, babe, we pay a mortgage. Why would I go camping? <laughs> Touche. But she's so adamant. And, and like people in our church have tried to convince her. Like I've seen some of you valiantly try <laughs> to be like, if you, I promise you it's great. And she's skeptical. She's like, uh-uh, no, I'm good. I'm good. But I'm telling y'all, something like miraculous work of the Holy Spirit, something changed. Because I came home this week and on Tuesday, she was like, so I've been researching like teardrop campers. If I can have an enclosed area that's fully locked in, no bears, no bugs, I might be able to do it. And she had researched all these campers. I'm like, oh my God, it's happening. She loves me. She really loves me. And there is a God. <laughs> but like her whole... Heart has changed in this. And like, I see her not now looking for the ways it won't work. She's trying to find ways to make it work, right? And that's the heart shift. I'm telling you, go, go back to faith. That's the heart shift. When you switch from being skeptical of faith, skeptical of God, skeptical of truth to seeking him, you're not looking for reasons to prove yourself to be right, right? You're, not look, you're looking for ways to see who God is, ways to learn who God is. You're looking for the truth. See, skeptical people, let, 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 let me show you this difference. A skeptic says, surely it isn't from God. A seeker says, is it from God? I don't know. You see the difference? You see the, the shift, the, the orientation of your heart is different. A skeptic says, I don't trust this. A seeker says, I'm struggling with this. You see the difference? A skeptic doesn't really want answers that go against their predetermined ideas. A seeker pursues answers regardless of the consequences. Maybe a better way to say it is that a skeptic stays far enough away to be right. A seeker gets close enough to be wrong. You see, see the difference? 
It's a heart shift. It's a perspective shift. And if you would make this shift, I'm telling you, you would experience life like you've never experienced it before. You experience so much joy, so much of goodness. I mean, come on, this is all over the scriptures. That's why I say this is for Christians in the room. As my, there's so many Christians that do not seek God. There's so many Christians that just go through the motions of going to church. We were meant to be seekers. We were meant to seek after God, seek after truth. That's why in Jeremiah 29, 13, it says, you, you will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all your hearts. Matthew 7, 7, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. We were meant to be seekers. We were meant to be open to the reality that if God is in it, it's gonna work. If God is in it, there's nothing that could stop it. And so because of that, I'm not, I'm not gonna worry about getting hurt. I'm just gonna seek after more of God. And I see it happening. <clears throat> I see it happening so much in our church. I see it happening all the time. Let me tell you about Carl. Play, go ahead and play Carl's baptism video for me. Carl, um, also I hate baptizing tall people. Who's the small fella dunking people? They let children baptize adults in this church? What's happening? <laughs> Carl, and I love that freeze frame on Carl. Carl came in about probably eight, nine months ago. And I remember him telling me his story in the lobby. And he said, he said, Petey, I've been in church for 30 years. And I've always been on the back row. In every way. He's like, not just where I sit. In my engagement with the church, my involvement with the church, I'm a back row guy. Everything's been kept at a distance. I want nothing to do with it. I'm kind of skeptical of it. I've just observed it. He's like, since I have started coming here, God has been working my heart and I'm finding myself just open to it and I'm growing more. He said, and I'm ready to move from the back row to the front row. I'm ready to get baptized. I'm ready to go all in. And now, now you see Carl, big old Carl, hands in the air, baptism. And, and some of y'all see that picture and you're like, I bet they told him to raise his hands like that. Makes for a good picture. <laughs> no, he's experiencing Victory. He's experienced joy and he can't, he can't contain it. That's why you see Carl now on our connection team, our guest services team, greeting people as they come in, making people like him who felt like they've been on the back row for 30 years feel welcome again. I can tell you about, I can tell you about Keith. <clears throat> Go and play Keith's baptism video for me. Some of y'all know Keith. Yeah. Keith, um, he didn't know I was doing this. And then first service, he was in here. And I, after service, he came running to me. He was like, you dork. Why'd you do that and not tell me? <laughs> Keith came in. His first Sunday here was two weeks before I landed here um, in Colorado. And he was so skeptical, wanted nothing to do with faith. So opposed to it. He had every reason to hate it. He had back experience with Christians, back experience with churches. Didn't, didn't want anything to do with any of it. He, the only reason he came is because one of his daughters said, Dad, I really want to go to this church. Can we go try it out? And he's like, oh, Whatever. He's trying to be a good dad. He'll do anything for his daughter. He shows up and week after week after week, his heart is being softened and his, his questions are being answered. See, that's the thing. When you talk about making a shift from a skeptic to a seeker, we're not talking about dropping your doubts. We're not talking about dropping your questions. No, 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 no. We're talking about seeking truth. We're talking about seeking answers to your questions. And that's what Keith did. And I watched Keith move from skeptic to seeker. I watched him move from trying to find reasons to prove that he's right to being close enough to prove that he's wrong. And I watched Keith get baptized. I'll never forget when he made the decision to start following Jesus. He was sitting in front row. And we did a moment like we're gonna do here in just a bit where 
I had everybody close their eyes and bow their heads and raise your hand on the count of three if you want to become a Christian, if you want to give your life to Christ. And Keith was front row. And I said, bow your heads, close your eyes. On the count of three, if you want to give your life to Christ, it's a private moment between you and God. Raise your hand on the count of three. As soon as I said one, Keith opened his eyes, looked up at me and raised his hand. Before I could even get to three. He's seeking. He's seeking after God. And he found him. And I've watched Keith get in that baptistry and baptize nearly every one of his kids. That's what happens. That's what happens when you make that powerful shift from being skeptical of truth to seeking truth. Being skeptical of God to seeking God. I worked at um, Apple for a season of my life teaching people how to use computers. And it was, really the job was just me teaching elderly people how to print pictures of their grandkids off of walmart.com. <laughs> that was all it was. <laughs> it sounds like I knew a lot. I was like I knew how to www.walmart.com. Plug for Walmart. Become a sponsor. Um, but at Apple, they had, this, they had, this, they had this, this work culture phrase that they use all the time. It was, they said, you should assume the best and ask the question. And I thought, man, I think that's what it means to be a seeker. That you come in, you come to God, you come to church, you come to the idea of faith, you come to the table and you assume the best. You assume that nobody's out to get you. You assume that nobody's like out to like swindle you. And like, this is why we do culture class. We do culture class. And some of y'all were just at it last hour. We do culture class so that you can kick the freaking tires of the church, get up close to it, and see if we're a bunch of crazies. This is why my wife and I stand out in the lobby after, after every service and want to meet you, because we want you to come up and see that we are normal people. We're not crazy. Like it's because we want you to see, we want you to assume the best, assume that God is here. And if he's not, it's, you know what? You'll be able to tell. If he's not, if, it, if it's... If it's of some human activity, human origin, you'll be able to tell. Your life won't change. Assume the best, and then when you got questions and doubts, go ask the question. Go ask the question. Become a seeker. Maybe, maybe for some of you, you just need to start the day off praying this simple prayer. Maybe today you need to pray it for the first time. You know, as, as I was writing this, I was thinking about Mark chapter 9 when Jesus was, uh, was asked to heal a child. There was a dad who came to Jesus, and he had a, a, a sick child, and wanted that child to be healed. And, and he asked Jesus to heal him, but he asked him in a really skeptical way. Check this out with me real quick. It says, if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. You hear the skeptics? If, if you can do anything. It's almost like a lottery ticket. Probably can't happen. And even Jesus senses the skepticism. Jesus says, if you can. <laughs> said Jesus, everything's possible for one who believes. And here it is. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Here's the prayer. Help me overcome my unbelief. Help me. God, I, I've got so many hangups. God, I've got so many questions. God, I'm so scared of how I'm gonna look to my friends. God, I'm so scared of how I'm gonna look to my family. But God, I, I, I want more of you. I wanna know you more. I wanna seek you more. God, would you help me overcome my unbelief? That's the prayer of a seeker. And maybe that's the prayer that you need to pray today for the very first time. Whether you're new to faith or been in faith for a long time, maybe you need to pray that today for the very first time. And I want to give you the chance to do that. So would you stand with me to your feet? Jesus was not skeptical of you. I want you to see that. Jesus was not skeptical of you. He didn't sit back with his arms crossed, keeping you at a distance, waiting on you to prove your worth to him. 
No, instead it says his mission was that the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost, and that's us, right? He, he, he was a seeker of you. He's still a seeker of you right now in this moment, but maybe right now is the time that you need to return the favor and start seeking him. So would you bow your heads and close your eyes? It's a private moment between you and God where all life change happens, where it starts. If you wanna pray that prayer to God, I want you to just quietly in your heart, and in your spirit, you don't have to say it out loud. I want you to just pray these words. I'm gonna give you the words to pray. Say, Jesus, I love you. And I'm sorry that I've allowed my skepticism to keep me back from the life that you want for me. Jesus, would you please help me overcome my unbelief? Jesus, would you please help me overcome my unbelief? Jesus, would you bring an end to skepticism in my life so that I can seek you, so that I can know you, so I can have life to the full? And if you prayed that prayer with me, I want you to raise your hand on the count of three. One, two, three. It's beautiful. It's incredible. Let's thank Jesus for what he's done today. God, we love you. Oh, we love you. And God, I pray that you would do something so miraculous by the work of your spirit in this room. God, that our church would be a place where it feels like everyone in the room is just genuinely seeking you. God, we don't, we're not here to play a game. We're not here to go through rote rituals and traditions. God, we wanna know you. We want more of you. So God, would you just grow that spirit of the seeker in all of us? In, in me, first and foremost, God, help me to seek you all the, the rest of my life. God, I pray for every person in this room, no matter where they are on their journey, God, help us to just have a, a heart shift today to seek you. We need more of you. Jesus, thank you for seeking us. We'd be nothing without you. Oh, we'd be nothing without you. We're so grateful for you. We're grateful that you didn't leave us to wallow in our own negativity, to wallow in the, in the darkness of the thoughts that are placed in our mind by the enemy. God, you didn't leave us alone with any way to fend that off, but God, from the mouth of a skeptic, you gave us a weapon. And so God, we claim and we believe right now and, and, and we hold it to be true that if you are in it, it will not fail. And God, you're here and you're in us, so we know it ain't gonna fail. So we step forward as a church with confidence, wanting more of you and seeking more of you. And we celebrate that you're able to do that, Jesus. We love you. And if you're in agreement, we, we pray together in the name of Jesus by saying. Thank you for joining us. Subscribe to our YouTube channel for weekly recordings of Sunday service. And follow us on Spotify and Apple Music for weekly audio recordings and